1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you want to make your way there, we're going to finish up the chapter this morning and where we left off from last time about verse 12. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. We'll pick it up there. Father, we do uh, again uh, want to praise you. And that's why we say and, and sing, I should say, hallelujah, Jesus. And um, uh, it's just great to lift up our voices to you and to um, remember uh, who you are, not that uh, you lost track of that or anything, but it's, it's always good for us. We need to be reminded so much, and it just puts our heart in a different place. And, and Lord, I know there's people that think, you know, they do music before, and they call it music before church so that late people can come in before the message starts, but that is completely backwards, Lord. We, we do that to prepare our hearts um, to come to you, Lord. Um, we always come in with so much on our mind, usually, and so much is going on from that, that day or yesterday or last night or the week, or we're thinking about things that are upcoming uh, today or tomorrow or at work or school or whatever the case might be, Lord. And so just to focus our hearts on you, and again, they say so many times, it's the only thing I know we're going to do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. And, um, and so, uh, uh, you know, we get that taste of heaven on earth when, when we enter into worship. And so we're so thankful for it, Lord. And we ask now that as we turn to your word and have it open on our laps, Lord, that we would just uh, be drawn closer to you, that we would see you more clearly, Lord, fall in love more with our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. 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 All right, last time we talked about the five illustrations or lessons from the Hebrews as they came out of Egypt, out of the wilderness. And, you know, again, um, just a great, great lessons from those that had failed. And we talked a lot about those last time, uh, how they were coming out, and again, all the important lessons we can learn from, from, from other people and other people's mistakes. Now, there's good Examples. There's bad examples, but from either either one of them, we can learn that. Again, we don't always have to go to the school of hard knocks, which has been said many times. The tuition is very high, <laughs> and so we can learn from others. Um, and so we talked about that last time. And so verse 12 really goes on to say, "Therefore, uh, let him who thinks uh, he stands take heed lest he fall." So again, when we see the word "therefore," we I'm sorry for the old cliche, but we have to ask why it's there for, right? Why is it there for? Well, because of what we've learned from those who have gone before us, in this case, the bad examples for the children coming out of Egypt, the Hebrews that were coming out and under God's miraculous hand, God's miraculous provision, you know, uh, the visible uh, glory of God being seen at uh, Daily, well, really, literally 24 hours a day, they heard God's voice from Mount Sinai. They saw the, the ocean open up and they walked across and the Egyptian army was drowned by the ocean uh, closing in on them. And, and they saw all those things, but it didn't impact their lives, their walks. You know, there was a, a number of them that just fell by the way. As a matter of fact, in the end, all of them would lack faith, with the exception of two, to go into the land. Well, with Moses, it was a little different, but... Generally speaking, you know, only two made it into the promised land. Only two walked in faith and received those promises. And so the rest of them, 
as we said, were just scattered over 40 years over the desert and just and all die. So because of that, therefore, because we know all that, the, the, the next words we're reminded is, let him, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because of all that, remember those examples and uh, that we don't fall into the same thing. Uh, I think today we would probably label that more as a, a backsliding. You know, that's typically the term that we use today, heading back uh, uh, into the world. Or in their case, the picture they give for us in the Old Testament there is going back to Egypt, longing for Egypt. God delivered them out of the Egyptian pagan, horrible society where they were treated horribly, they were a slave, and again, that's just a, a picture of us in sin, you know, we're a slave to sin, we couldn't get out from underneath it, you know, God delivered us and saved us, of course, that's a, the type in the Old Testament there, and again, uh, you know, what's there to go back to? We, we, you know, we need to keep that front and center, that there's nothing good to go back to here, we don't want to go, or as we like to say today, backsliding. Um, I like this quote, and it, it says, um, talking about the children here, it says, They were all downward. They marked stages in the life of the backslider. Those five things we just talked about. The first observable trait of backsliding is a detaste, distaste for the Bible, the heavenly manna, and the craving for the spicier fare of the world. And so, you know, uh, I like the illustration. He goes on to point out all five of them and what they did and how they apply to today. But, you know, one of the biggest ones uh, was, again, they just didn't like manna. And again, again, that's illustrated. That's a type for us of the word, right? The word uh, is, is uh, food or the manna. And they just had a taste for the things of the world. And so we don't want to repeat that. We want to pay attention and learn from those lessons that, you know, their lusting, uh, the five things, their idolatry, their immorality, their murmuring, right, kept all but Joshua and Caleb from going into the promised land. Um, and so, you know, again, we need to keep a watch on our own lives as well. Now, you know, a lot of people say, wow, you know, but it's so hard sometimes, and how can I how can I do it? You know, it's just, uh, you know, there's always that pull. There's always that, you know, this, and it's just like this constant thing. And, you know, uh, you know, why is it always so hard? And we just feel so defeated sometimes. And, you know, it seems so difficult. And, it, you know, when I think in those terms, um, it just kind of reminds me of Paul that he's talking in Romans chapter 7. You know, he's even looking at that in his own life. You know, sometimes we think of that way. Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? Lord, why is it... You know, always have to be, we're working, we're in a race, we're walking, we're moving forward, you know, isn't there any break in this and this and that? Can we take a two-week vacation from it or whatever, you know, in our own minds? And, you know, even, even Paul said that. I'll put that up there in Romans chapter 7. I think it's uh, important for us to remember. Um, and he says this, he says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then he says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
And so, you know, it's kind of, you know, we, we get to that point too, I think, you know, how, 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 you know, how um, there's just always this pull towards the things of the world. There's always this pull, if you would, in that picture back to the things of Egypt, to go back to the old, to go back to those things, to get involved in that. And sometimes we look at it with a very, um, you know, uh, longing, you know, and a really a, a, a distorted view of what that was like. Um, and, you know, those things come. The longer you're a Christian, um, you, you know, those battles become a little different. You know, you don't fall for those same traps that maybe you used to at some point. But, you know, there's, there's, there's other difficulties that, that a person faces in that way. But the bottom line is, that, you know, you're pulling, you know, back and to moving in that way. And he goes like, you know, even he feels that way, right? You can, you can express that. So how can I do it? And why do we get tired? And, you know, how do we, you know, keep from that pull of always going back? And, you know, when I want to do good, but yet, you know, there's always this temptation not to do good. And, you know, it's always at work with me. There's this, you know, this tug of war that's always there. And we need to remember there's a solution, right? Um, what, what, what religions do, and I'll, I'll, I'll be very broad in this because it's all, it, it all, I'll lump them all together. You know, uh, this is what happens. Christianity, or the Bible, teaching of the Bible, because Christianity gets kind of some warped views. But, you know, what the Bible teaches, let's put it that way, is, um, you, you know, it, it doesn't leave us hanging here. It doesn't leave us at the end of verse 24. Now, a lot of religions, and I'll even say all religions, you know, put those things out. This is what you need to do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what you should obtain. This is what you should work for. This is what you should stay away from. And the list is all in that way. It's all up to you, and here it is. We're dumping on you. Uh, you know, you get rid of self or whatever, you know, they're doing, you know, whatever one. You could pick all those things. But the bottom line is, here it is. They throw the rule book at you, and, and, and here it is, and this is what you need to do. And the difference between Christianity or what the Bible teaches and, you know, God doesn't just throw the rule book at you and say, figure it out, have a great day, see you later, um, you know, do the best you can and, you know, know what the Bible does is what Paul says after this kind of low, like, man, how am I ever going to get out of this? How do I get out of this, you know? total pulling back from the world and wanting to do this and doing things that are apart from the law of God and the word of God and what I know the word of God is. This is what he says in verse 25. It says, you know, at the, that the low point, then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the exclamation point is Paul's, right? Uh, you're right. It's not up to me. God doesn't just throw a rule book at me. He's not some religion where they throw the rule book. Here it is. Figure it out. Live it. Do it. This is the rules. This is what you got to play by. This is how you have to do things. And, and here you go. So figure it out and work it out and see how you do. That's not the way it is. Because thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He did the work and there is a solution and he goes on to say, here are the words of comfort and encouragement that we need to hear. Because that is a temptation to do the same thing that they did. And we don't want to do that. We need to be careful of that. But here's the solution. And it's verse 13. It said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful 
he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Um, uh, you know, uh, that's just, again, some very underlinable or highlighted words in the Bible because this is important that God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, regulates those temptations. He regulates them. He knows us. He knows who we are. He knows what we can take. He knows what's best for us. And He regulates those things so that we can and will have victory. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've known people over the years who will say, you know, come up and they'll say, oh man, I just had so much temptation and it's always temptation, temptation, you know. And they think, you know, and we can kind of think this way as well, you know, I'm just tempted more than, uh, than any other person. You know, I just the temptations are thrown at me, the temptations, and you just don't know how hard it is because the temptations are thrown at me all the time. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, we can feel that way, and I know people that feel that way all the time. And, you know, I always go back to this. <laughs> you remember those guys? Uh, you know, I, I love the cartoon. I'll, I'll try to fight my impulses, but they keep asking for rematches. <laughs> I love that. Or, you know, snack foods are half off. Um, and every time I try to fight temptation, temptation fights dirty. So, you know, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way we get that look, right? Oh, it's just awful. And every time, you know, I fight it, they want rematches. And you get the, the comedy there. I think it's good. But the, the bottom line is here he's saying temptation is common to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've walked with the Lord, how little you've walked with the Lord, any place that God has gifted you. Uh, and used you in all sorts of ways, in any ways, in anything you can think of, where temptation is common to everyone. And God is always faithful to give us a way out. So those are two pillars of facts. We're all going to be tempted, but converse opposite of that is, is God's always going to give us a way out. I, I mean, those are just two pillars of truth. Um, Again, the way of escape does not lead us to a place where we escape all temptation, right? He'll give us a way out. Okay, that means temptation's all taken away of. No, because that happens in heaven alone, right? So, you know, yes, there's temptations are going to come, and God's going to give us a way out. But when he gives us the way out, that doesn't mean we're delivered from all temptation. No, because when we're delivered from all temptation, we call that heaven. Uh, again, the... the what he promises here, the way of escape, will lead us to a place where we will be able to bear it or able to get through it without giving in to the temptation. I, I like this quote. It says, he promises to limit it according to our capability to endure it. According to our capabilities as we rely on him, not our capabilities as we rely on ourselves. That's just important to remember. He, he promises to limit that temptation in a way that we have the capacity to endure it. So just nobody can say ever say, well, it's just I, I couldn't resist that. I, how could I, you know, uh, 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 she threw herself at me, you know, and I, I you know... I, 
it, it was just, you know, overwhelming. And I said, well, think about Joseph, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, um, right? I mean, literally, she's making moves on him. He's in, you know, Potiphar's house. Remember Joseph back in Genesis there? Um, you know, she's making moves at him and probably very subtle. And he's just turning a, 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 you know, a blind eye to it. He's ignoring, he's pushing it aside. He's not going that direction. He's not taking the bait. He's not biting it. And so at some point, she just gets to the point where well, this guy's not biting on it. I am going to, you know, have him bite the hook, line, and sinker, right? Everything, he's going to, if I do this, and I can imagine it was, uh, you know, very X-rated, uh, what she did. I, I think it was very, as is, is, uh, sensuous and uh, as sexual as it possibly could be. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. And yet, you know... She, even to the point where she is, you know, physically grabbing him and he is, you know, as soon as he sees all this and this happening, I imagine it all happens very quickly. He's out the door. I don't care what I'm leaving behind, my jacket or whatever. She can have it. She grabbed it. She can take it. I'm out of here, right? There wasn't a way of escape. And uh, we need to remember that. You know, he, he will give us a way out. Always has, always will. It's going to happen, but we have a way to escape, and it's never above our ability to escape it. It's just not overwhelming. Uh, here's another quote I'll put on. I guess I'm full of quotes today, but it says, All temptation comes to us from one of three sources, the lust of the flesh, from the lure of the world, or from the lies of the devil. It is half the battle to know the enemy. I like that. And, you know, we kind of look at those three things a little bit differently. We probably name the second one, um, lust of the eyes. We'd say the temptation for Eve in the garden. But, but again, we just, I like what he says, half the battle is knowing it. We just need to recognize this is a temptation. And that just, when we do that, it, it just helps us right then and there to navigate that. Just and I, you know, I, I like that because I think that's very true. You know, it is half the battle. It's like, okay, this is a big temptation. And when we put that word and associate it with that situation um, or circumstance, when we think of the word temptation, it automatically takes so much out of that circumstance or situation or thought or whatever, however it's working down. And again, and uh, it, it automatically takes a lot of steam out of that. And we will be encouraged to do his will because he will provide a way out. It, it basically boils down to this. I know it's pretty simple, but we can either give into, give into temptation or we can give into the Holy Spirit. That, that's just the bottom line. And again, we're reminded how to evaluate the temptation. It's common to man, but it is controlled by God. And we need to remember that. And so there's a way out, there's escape. And I've always said this, you know, the, the battle for temptation and, 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 and these things is, is, is pretty simple. Most of the time, you know, it, it gets a little bit confused because people, I don't really know what God's saying. I don't really know what God's saying. I'm not really sure what his will is. And I find that so much of the time that we know, the battle isn't knowing what, how the Lord is leading us or the Holy Spirit showing us or, 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 or whatever the case might be like that. 
It's whether we're going to do it or not. That's really what the battle is. And then we kind of confuse it by saying, well, I really don't know if it's his will. I don't know if that's him speaking. I really don't know. And what we're really doing is arguing with the fact whether we're going to listen to the, the way of escape or the way things that the Lord wants us to do, or am I going to fight against it? And so we kind of confuse it in our own minds to think that, you know, what? well, it's just, you know, is it really good? Is it really him? Is it not really him? And when we really know, but we just are battling whether we're going to obey or not. But we need to know that you're not, he doesn't throw the rule book at us and say, here you go, have a good day. This is what you got to do. No, he's with us every step of the way. And of course, you know, he gives us the Holy Spirit who dwells in the believer. You know, uh, you become part of the family. Um, I, maybe this is a terrible anal uh, analogy, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. You know, when you get hired at a place, they say, well, here are the benefits, right? Here's your pay. Here's uh, what kind of medical you get. Here's retirement you get. Here's the vacation you get or whatever. This is the bonus you get or housing allowance or whatever people get these days, right? And if you would, when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ and, and they become, you know, part of the family of God, that's one of the benefits. You, you say, yes, I, I in faith I believe, Jesus, you died for my sin. Uh, I, I know you've you've paid the price from that and we you know the benefits are we become part of the family of god uh and one of the benefits sorry hopefully this helps us i know the illustration breaks down at some point but you know is that we have the holy spirit in us to lead us and guide us 24 7. and uh, you know we have it all we really have it all and so again remember it will come it's common to everyone but god is the one who controls it and offers us always a way out. Now, it seems like he kind of changes gears a little bit, but he's going to roll back in verse 14 to what he has talked about previously in chapters 8 and 9. And it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. So again, in, in working in what we just talked about and working in what he's talked about, about idolatry and, you know, doing what's right in front of people and what's best for them and had to do with eating meat that was potentially or possibly offered to idols. Is that good? Is that bad? Do you have the freedom? Do you have the liberty to do it? And okay, you know, there's temptations that lead us down the wrong road. Paul would say, I laid aside my liberty. He talked about that in chapter 9. And now in chapter 10, he says, this is people that just kind of gave into that and they didn't, you know, think about others. They were just so self-centered and, you know, uh, didn't want to trust the Lord and, and all that we talked about. And then he goes on to saying, you know, we need to flee uh, idolatry. And, and, and again, it just, you can't just think of this little statue where you, you know, offer a little food to it or burn incense to it or bow down to it or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the bottom line is we need to flee any person, any activity, any hobby, uh, any idea that gets in the way of our relationship with our Lord. That's what it means by fleeing idolatry. Anything that will get in the way of our relationship with Him, whether it's an idea, a person, activity, hobby, whatever, you go down the list, job, this, that, relationship, whatever. If it gets in the way of our relationship, that is something that we are to flee from. And he says, listen, you, you guys know that. You guys know enough. You can 
see how right and true this is. And then he says in verse 16, the cup is a blessing which we bless. Is not the communion, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are they not are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So now, you know, you guys are wise. You should understand this. You should know this. You can understand how this is biblically sound. And he starts making an illustration with communion in the New Testament and the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And I'll, I'll read it to you in the New Living Translation because I think it's a little easier to maybe navigate this portion. Um, it says what we just read. So my dear friend, friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of, of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are, are, one, that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? So going back to that subject of eating, uh, eating meat that was offered to idols, or again, and I, I may say this uh, because I think that that whole premise is something that, you know, there wasn't a solid biblical, uh, that there's not things that are solid, solidly spoken about in scripture. So what, do we turn to uh, uh, to navigate those things? And that's one of these things here, something that's not specifically talked about. Because those are not non-negotiable. Those aren't arguable. Those aren't something that you can kind of, well, you know, the Lord showed me different. Sorry. Uh, it's not something you need to pray about. Scripture's pretty clear. <laughs> you you don't need to go and, uh, okay, should I? No, Scripture tells you this or says stay away from that or whatever. We're not talking about those things. Those things are, are, are hopefully settled in our mind. But, you know, again, how do you deal with this issue about eating meat that's possibly offered to idols? Some of you don't have a problem with it. Other people, you have a big problem with it. How do you deal with that? Well, he goes back to this whole thing is that we're connected in one body in the church, just as they were all connected, if you would, in Israel in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament sacrifices, and this is what he's referring to, remember, in and, and some of the sacrifices, now some of them were wholly offered over to the Lord, but there was a good portion of what you could do as far as offering sacrifices, or you could just go there to celebrate the Lord. You would offer, uh, some of it would go to the Lord, it would be burned on the altar, some of it would go to the priest, and then, and then some of it would go to the people who were offering uh, the sacrifice or the dedication or just the fellowship offering, whatever, you know, one of those things. And we'd go to them. And the idea was they were all communing from the same uh, source, if you would, the cow, the goat, the whatever it might be, right? You, you all sat, you know, you fellowshiping with God, the, the one that's offering it, the priest is getting some, and you're sitting down and eating some. So you're, you're all partaking from it, right? Just as we all partake from, you know, a cup and, and the bread, and, um, you know, this has been some of the 
oldest church, you know, kind of goes back and gives this whole, you have to do it all together from this verse. I won't go down that road, but, you know, for our purposes, you know, we all drink the communion cup. We're all drinking, you know, the blood of Christ and the, the body of Christ in, in the communion part. So we're all partakers of that. We're all connected uh, just as they were. And so, again, uh, when we drink the cup, right, there's this spiritual sharing of the blood of Christ and when we break the bread, there is a spiritual sharing of the body of Christ. So both of these have fellowship with God. Because the altar, uh, you know, uh, when it was altered on the offer or the, sitting on the table today, we're both connected together. There are, we do this as one body, right? That's the whole picture is making. We're all connected in this. Um, as much as we like to disconnect ourselves um, you know, from one body of Christ, but we are, you know, people, you know, and I, and I, I did this more as the older I get, the more I, you know, I, I hopefully I, you gain more wisdom, right? My brother Carl, the older we get, hopefully, you know, we just don't make the same mistakes or have the same attitudes uh, that we did. And, you know, there, there is this larger body of Christ and we can't let small things get in the way of, um, you know, Ethan and I were having a discussion, he's doing this essay for his IB program, and we were talking about that, and, you know, we just can't let those things get in the way of the larger body of Christ. Now, there's some things that certainly have to get in the way, but, you know, there's so many things that we don't have to get in the way, that we isolate ourselves, and we stand in our own self Righteousness really is what happens at the end of the day. And we just, you know, we need to realize we're all connected. And what we do affects one another. And, um, you know, and there's some that are very strong in their faith and some that are very weak. And we need to allow for all that. Some that are just stuck in religious systems that, you know, we, you know, or that's what they've raised. That's what they know. And, you know, again, um, and but we're all connected here. And that's what we need to see. So we have fellowship with God at the table. We need to remember that. And because of this fact, verse 19 says, Why, well, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to the idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So again, he's going back. Remember, we're all connected. You need to think about that. You need to remember that. That needs to be part of your heart and who you are. Remember, again, you know, one of the prayer jesus put was man I, I just pray that you love one another you know and you can't make somebody else love you but you can certainly do that and we're to do that and so as you know again the christian uh, i'm sorry the corinthian thought here was as long as we participate in communion you know we are safe in him right and paul answers and as they disagree the lord's table when they you know they I'm sorry, they disgrace the Lord's table when they are fellowshipping and eating at the place of idolatry. Now remember, he told us way back in chapter 8 that idols are nothing, there's nothing behind it. In other words, there's no real God of Zeus, there's no, 
you know, God of Thunder or anything else that they did. It's just a statue made by hands or a whatever figure, whatever it might be. It's just there's nothing, um, there's nothing real about that in that sense. They're not anything. And yes, you understand that they're not anything. But what is behind them, right, is this demonic influence or inspiration that is behind them. So, you know, you need to think, yes, you might have the liberty to do that. And you say, well, they're nothing, and I know they're nothing, so I can go in there and eat and uh, buy the meat or eat there. And typically, you know, you could, obviously, it was a place where you could eat as well. As, you know, a restaurant is probably, a, uh, you know, not a, a good equal illustration of that, but it was a place you could eat or a place you could buy meat, obviously. So obviously some of it was prepared and some of it was something you could take home. And if you go in there and eat, even though they're nothing, but what is behind those things, he says, is demonic, right? It's demonic. You, you can't, and, and you know, it, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're partaking at the Lord's table, you're you know, you're showing your faith and remembrance of what Christ did on the, on the cross, the blood and the cup. And so you, you take that in as a believer and you can't just think, well, I'm, that's okay. That's all I need to do because the other stuff, it doesn't really matter because I'm safe by doing that. You can't think, oh, that's no big deal going in this place where they worship idols. Uh, even though you think you have the liberty to do it, isn't doing something like that provoking the Lord? And by participating in these dinners at these pagan temples, you know, the Corinthian Christians entered into this fellowship, Paul said, with demons, which is provoking the Lord to jealousy. And again, they just can't claim, well, I have the right to do that uh, because, you know, we're such strong Christians, I can do that or whatever. Are you really stronger than God? <laughs> he has the right over all of our worship and his right to be offended when we give our fellowship to demons. That's what Paul's saying here. You can't do both. It won't work. It's wrong and it's offensive. You need to think about that. You, you may think you're so wise and smart and you know better and this is not good and, and you know they're nothing and so I can go ahead and do it and you know I have the liberty and the okay to do that. And he says, you know, to sit there and eat that and do that, you, you know, it, it's offensive to our Lord. When you're sitting there, like you're one of those people, um, you know, who are there to worship and eat and do all that kind of stuff. It just speaks to us as believers. We do need to be careful what we participate in. Um, you know, if it's offensive to God, I, I need to consider that. There's some places that we just shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, he's speaking to things like that. This quote um, I think it's pretty good. It says, It doesn't matter that the Corinthian Christians didn't intend to worship demons at these heathen, heathen festivals and pagan temples. If a man puts his hand into the fire, it doesn't matter if he intends to burn himself or not. He is burned just the same. And, and that is the point he is making here. Just We're all connected and we all have to think of one another. And you can't just think, you know, I get this get, get out of jail free card and do whatever I want to do because I have this communion with the Lord. And, and Paul's saying, because you have that communion with the Lord, you need to be careful of what you do and what you go into. You know, it does tie back into that temptation. You know, why would you want to put yourself into that place uh, where, where it's a demonic activity here? You know, just for a, a, 
a better cost, you're saving money, or because you don't think they're anything, so it's no big deal. And so what he does, and comes back to this overreaching principle of what we need to understand about all these things that you know really aren't clearly talked about in scripture or things that aren't clearly you know delineated in the word of God. He says this, all things, verse 23, are lawful for me, but all, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So the Corinthians focused on their own rights with their own knowledge. And, you know, they really had this, this is the attitude they had. They really had this own question, you know, what is the harm to me in this, if I do this? Instead of asking probably the more important question is, what good can this be for me? You, you know, oh, how can that hurt, right? Oh, how, if I do that, how can that hurt, you know? Rather than saying, well, how could that be good for me? You know, how is this going to benefit my relationship with my Heavenly Father and with my Lord and Savior. Um, you know, I, I talked to a, a great brother, you know, some time ago, and we were talking, and I was asking about his family and stuff, and he went on to talk about one of them, and I said, oh, how they doing? And, and his answer to me was, wow, that person is, as, and this is, and I quote this, this is, they're as far left as you could possibly be without crossing the line out of, you know, the Christian faith. <laughs> and, um, you know, I thought that was just an interesting description. Uh, and, um, and it's just interesting to think that somehow that you can see this line somewhere that that's the end of it. You know, this is the end, and anything on the other side of that is, you know, you're outside of the faith. And, um, you know, a lot of times we like to look at it in those terms. Well, how close is it to that line? You know, or, you know, I'm still within the boundaries, right? I'm still, um, you know, uh, you're driving down the, the highway, and oh, I'm still in between the two lanes. I could be going like this, but as long as I don't hit the bumps on one side or the other, right, the, the lane markers, then, then I, I'm good to go. And, uh, but, you know, are you in that case? And people like to do that. Okay, I'm inside, I'm inside, so I'm okay. And they like to think in terms that way. Well, that's not so bad. I know, you know, what's-his-face does that, or I've seen that, or I know that's not bad. I don't feel like that. I don't think it's a wrong thing or whatever, you know. That's not really a temptation. That's okay. And so, you know, I can, I have plenty of room before I hit the, you know, the, the shoulder of the road, if you would. And uh, again, um, it's just important for us to, to remember that, you know, it's not about what I can do, but what's good for me. Um, again, um, there's this story that talks about these two little teardrops that are floating down the river, and one teardrop asks the other, who are you? And the second teardrop replied to them, well, I'm from a woman who lost her lover and she responded and you and the first teardrop said well i'm from the woman who got him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know we kind of look at things that way right and 
you know, it's bad, it's good, it's this, I got that, and you know, oh, it's going to be okay for me, and it's not going to be a big deal, and then, it, man, it comes up pretty sour, right? You know, again, we do this all the time in our relationships. So, you know, I better, uh, we, we think in these terms. We just need to remember that. You know, we do think in these terms, and it just, uh, it's not foreign to us. You, 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 you love somebody, they're, they're close to you, whether children, parents, siblings, great long-term friends or something. You know, we, we think about it all the time. We, I should, oh, maybe not all the time, maybe not as much as we should, but we do think, okay, well, how by, is this action or how if I do this with them or do this for them or, you know, do this thing, how is it going to affect um, our relationship, right? Uh, you know, well, I better not say that because it's just going to cause some problems, so I'm just going to let that go, Right? Or if I just do this, it'll, it'll, just, it'll just be good, and it's not that big of a deal. It's not something I'd like to do or want to do, but I know it's just for the best, so I'm going to do it. I mean, we think of those terms all the time, right? We'll, we'll put away our, our pride, you know, or our desire to, you know, have our opinion expressed or, you know, or to not say something or whatever the case might be. We will do that in relationships, and, and again, that same sort of thing needs to really be applied to, to the, the greater relationship, which is with our Heavenly Father. You know, will this thing really be pleasing to Him? How will, he, how will this be good in my relationship with Him? It's just better if I put this away, and then that way it just, it's just better for our relationship. Or, you know, I, I should do this even though I don't really feel like, you know, we work that way on relationships down here. How much more important should we work that in our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Again, instead of um, wanting to go forward with Jesus as uh, you know uh, as as much as I can and do as much as I want him to do, and you know we don't want to have the attitude of how much can I get away and still be a Christian? You know how much can I get away with? It's just never the right approach. Oh, I'm still okay if I do this. I'm still okay if I look. It's just it's just completely the wrong approach. That's that's what he's saying here. That's what we're being reminded of. And then he says in verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. In the end, just because something is fine for me doesn't mean that I should do it. All things, yes. Could they be lawful for me? Yes. Not all things are helpful. Uh, and not all things are good for me. And at the end, I need to think about not just me, but of somebody else, others in the body, those that are participating at the table, those that are, you know, having the communion, if you would, the one body that we're connected to. I must consider the loving things to do towards my brothers and sisters in Jesus. I, I, it has to be. It just needs to be part of our lives and not part of, well, this is what I believe is what I think. Either you're on board with me or you're not. You know, that's just, there's no place for that in the church. It, it's not. And so, he finishes up with his principle here, going back to the food. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols... Do not eat of it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. 
conscience, I say, not of your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? So he basically comes up with this illustration at the end here. It's like, you know, uh, your coworker invites you over for this great seven bone prime rib. And you sit down to eat this beautiful prime rib, this mouth-watering. And then he says, yeah, I just got this from the Temple of Zeus the other day up the street. And man, it was offered to Zeus this morning, and it's on my dinner table tonight, and we're eating it. Paul says, no, you know, you, you just it's not because you can't eat it. It's because you want to let them know it's for their sake that, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm not going to participate in this. I, I'm not going to let anybody else, you know, oh, yeah, Dylan was over at my house the other night. He was eating that meat offered to Zeus. Yeah, you oh, yeah, I told him. Yeah, I told him it was just offered that morning. I, in fact, I offered it, and I grabbed a good piece of it because I knew it was a good cow or whatever, right? And, uh, you know, for what is said and for their conscience and what they think, and that's what he's saying here. You know, I can't do that. Uh, you know, because there might be a, a weaker brother or sister who's conscious of objecting and say, man, wait a minute, that meat was sacrificed to an idol and you knew it and you did it anyway? Paul says, listen, the, the principle is in Psalm 24, 1, that's what means the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. It's a quote from Psalm 24, 1. And, and basically he's saying the cow belonged to the Lord when it was on the hoof, I like this, and now it belongs to the Lord that it's on the barbecue, right? The food isn't the issue. It's the idol-worshiping atmosphere that's the issue. Yes. And you need to consider how people might think and how it might affect them. And again, we have, you know, I, I, I want to point this out as we, you know, wind up here. Because people will come up to you and they'll come up to me and they've done it for so many years and they'll say, well, that offends me. You know, you doing that offends me. You doing that offends me. And I said this when we were in chapter 8. You know... If a person comes up and says that offends them, typically it just offends, offends their legalistic point of view and how they believe it should happen or shouldn't happen. And they love to get in and tell you how they feel about it so that you will, you know, go along with their program. You know, it's just very legalistic and pious most of the time. And that's not what we're talking about. You know, I, oh, doing that offends me. Well, so it's causing you to sin because that's what we're talking about here. It's causing you to... You know, for the people that are weak that came out of those temples, and we talked about all this and, and all that, it's causing you to uh, to sin. I, I use the illustration of maybe you know buying certain things at the store or something, and see people seeing it, and then oh man, it might you know one that's struggling. Oh, the pastor's doing this. Or, well, maybe I can do this. I you know I I, I was just, you know really involved in that, and when I came to the Lord, I'm not doing it, but I see them doing it, so maybe it's okay. You know, and they go back and they end up stumbling over. It. That's what we're talking about. Not about somebody that just, you know, you know it's offensive uh, to them because it's, that's their, their point of view on something. They want you to recognize that and live by it. It's offense that causes someone to stumble, to stumble, to lead them to sin. And none of our behavior should ever encourage another one to sin. That's what's the point here. And here's the principle, and this is here clearly how we deal with everything, you know, uh, that, that comes into that realm of not really spoken of clearly in Scripture. Verse 31 says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense 
neither to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So Paul says the heart should be thinking of others inside and outside the church, seeking what's good for others and not for myself. This is Christian, the Christian conduct of living. It really should be. I, you know, I do what I want, not, not to do what I want that's important, not demanding my way or my right or my ability or my freedom. Uh, no, that's not the way to do that. It, that reveals little regard for the lost and for the weak. You know, if you demand that and this is everybody's got to tell the line and this is what I think or I can do this and I can do this and nobody can tell me different, you know, that just says a person has very little regard for the lost and for the weak. But he says the mature view and what we should think in all these things as we, as we move on from uh, going to a whole other subject next time, you, you know, we need to remember how that affects others, how can we encourage others, what other people, you know, how will it, uh, you know, affect them? Will it cause them to stumble and to sin? Heaven forbid. Uh, I got to think about others. I got to think about how this is best, you know, received by those so that they might be strengthened in Christ or come to Christ. That's the mature view. And I put aside anything that would hinder that. And, uh, Again, very important principles he lays down here in these, you know, three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And then next time on chapter 11, we'll, we'll pick it up with a rather interesting subject of head covering. So let's go before the Lord. Father, we uh, thank you for this time, Lord, and for your word and the importance that uh, it has in our lives, Lord, and the instruction that you give us. We, we don't want to repeat the sins of the past and where other people have stumbled and fall. We want to... Um, you know, in our heart, uh, know that temptation will come, but we want to resist it. And you give us the ability to have victory every time without fail. And, and so, Lord, uh, because of that, we, we need to think about others. And we need to think about how my decisions and my talking and my way of thinking affects others in the body. Because that's the mature uh, Christian point of view. And not about what I think and what I feel and everybody can either love it or lump it or, or any of those other things, Lord. We, we don't want to have that heart. And, and help us to mature in that and grow into that. We're all connected. You know, we're all connected in one body in Christ and others are just pretty weak and, and don't know much for whatever reason, Lord. But we want to think about them. We want to think about people that have heard the gospel and never made a commitment to it and and, and, and how my actions or inactions or my thinking or way of doing things will impact them as well. Because we want them to come to know you. And heaven forbid that my arrogant or prideful or self-centered attitude would get in the way of that. And yet, sadly, it does in, in my life sometimes. And I'm sure my brothers and sisters can agree with that. But we want to put that aside and walk, if we would, the, the higher road, Lord. We thank you for these instructions, and may we just apply them to our hearts and to our lives, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. 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 May the Lord bless you guys.